Okay. Yeah. Books came in. Okay. So, um, one of the questions we didn't really spend any time on, I just want to kind of get your thought on, or thoughts on. That was question number five in the uh, pre-class questions that I sent out last week. And it says, in your opinion, has public church discipline been effective when practiced at Avon Heights Church or any other church with which you have been a member? Why or why not? Ineffective in most of the congregations that we've been involved in. One, because <clears throat> nobody wanted to do it. And then two, when it was done, it wasn't done according to scripture. Or, like uh, Tony was saying, there wasn't relationships to, to where it would affect them. Okay. If it was done correctly. Okay. All right. I can think of several that have been withdrawn from, but I can't think of any that came back. Okay. All right. And stayed back. Okay. All right. Well. I think it was pretty much done um, biblically, and um, as far I wrote down, not sure about the effectiveness, but we discussed a little bit about. Uh, even though it's done correctly, it may not affect the other person or the person that's involved. So we can't really judge that. All we can do is know that if we have done it properly. Right, right. I was just saying, and that can be effectively because if, if there's sin in the camp, the camp is bad. So right. if you have, you want the the purpose is for that person to turn, but if they don't, right, the effective part on the church as a whole has has won. That's probably not the right term. No, no, it, no. I I think you're exactly right, and I think that I was going to ask that question because the question was a little um, I'm not misleading, but it was a little leading maybe because when I use that word, was it effective, right? Because our first thought goes to, did it have an influence on the person to whom the discipline was given? But is that the only means of effectiveness that church discipline has? There's two sides of it. And I think that's where in this book he really focuses on that as well, especially at the beginning of the book when he talks about maintaining holiness within God's church. And so it may not have been effective as far as we know, and it may still be in the future, right? We, we don't know yet, but it may not have been immediately effective on the one to whom discipline was given, but we know it was effective on purging sin from a congregation and trying to keep the congregation holy as God wants, us, wants the church to be. John? And there probably will be multiple stages of discipline if done well to where I usually default to thinking of the ultimate right. end of discipline, you know, some sort of separation, right. but maybe there was some uh, stage before that that you didn't have to get to that point. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes that's done on a private level where the 
church as a whole wouldn't know about it in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. So it could very well have been very effective in those cases, but it's just not publicly known. Um, usually when it comes to the public knowing, it has got to this stage where it's almost an, you know, a final cry of help, you know, and then ultimately um, leads to a, either a withdrawal or a marking or something. Okay, so I had asked you to list three Bible passages that you would uh, use in showing someone that the New Testament, what the New Testament teaches about church discipline. So, anybody want to share any passages that you you had? Some of the passages may even be a little indirect as well, right? And I'll give you one of those, which is a very common passage. Okay, and that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, yeah. for instruction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may com- be complete, equipped for every good work. And then, seven, and then in um, the same book, in chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Paul tells Timothy to convince, rebuke, and exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching. So, even though maybe we don't think about that verse as being a verse about discipline, it really is. And we're going to talk why it is and, and define what discipline really means and how it should be a part of all of our lives all the time, really. What else, Gary? I was thinking of uh, the situation in Corinth there in chapter 5. Mm-hmm. Where the young man was sleeping with his father's wife there, and just all of the direction that Paul gave to the church there, even to the point of it, it's tricky because sometimes we wear different hats. So you may a person may be a brother, but he may also be your son. Right. So you're wearing the, the brother hat and you're wearing the father hat. So. But it says it gives clear direction here as far as don't don't even eat with his brother, so that they should feel that separation. And eating is a very intimate and accepting situation around the table. <coughs> so when we do have contact with them, it, it should be to encourage them to try to lead them back, but that they should also feel the separation by not eating. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about that too because there's, I mean, honestly, there's two ways of looking at that, right? Common meal and the Lord's Supper. And I think there's arguments, good arguments for both of those. And so there again, when I said in the first class, some of these things, I'm not going to say this is the way it is. I'm, we'll present the evidence. We'll present God's Word. And as individual Christians, then we need to come up with our understanding of, of how that, that does play out. But I think, yeah, I think um, that, that uh, situation in Corinthians is... Um, is obviously one of the one of the most prevalent that we have, and it's also interesting in that um, in that example is there is as much or more directed to the church in the way they were handling the situation as it was as to how they needed to um, address the one that was sinning as well. So it's. I thought they think it's very interesting when we get into and there's a whole chapter I think a section on on that and we'll we'll discuss that but it's interesting that you know discipline discipline can also be on those that are having to deal with it and are we dealing with it properly and if not then we need to be disciplined 
in a sense as well. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. Tony. Um, the first instance of discipline in the church uh, from Acts chapter 5, the whole church and all others who heard about these things were filled with fear. Um, that's how God dealt with discipline in the church. Yeah, when, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, yeah. whenever the uh, when Israel was first brought out of the land and they were at the mountain and they were learning all the things they were supposed to be doing, what did God do for discipline in the group? Uh, with the priest. What did he do about Nadab and Abihu? Right. Um, I'm not saying we... <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, that we need to do that to people. Right. But just the seriousness of it to where, like in Revelation chapter 2, with the first church he mentions Ephesus, that he says, I will remove your lampstand. Yeah. Because of what that leads to. And, you know, for this holier church and what that looks like, um, how serious this is, and then it's kind of like parenting that, um, you know, there's ways you can really mess your kids up. Right. Absolutely. And, um, Absolutely. You're letting them get away with a lot of things, but doesn't mean that, oh, I need to go murder my children every time they step right. out of line. But right. Nope. I think it's good. Huh? Um, going back to what Gary <clears throat> said, in Second Corinthians then, they had done such a um, thorough job that he that Paul is telling them in Second Corinthians two, six to eight, to forgive, comfort, and reaffirm their love yep. for that person. And then now in Titus one verse three, it's talking about rebellious Jews, mm -hmm. but he says reprove severely so to be sound in the faith. So it almost sounds like the there's different seriousnesses <laughs> of sin. Um, I don't know. You know, I right, don't know. right. Well, and I, it kind of reminds me too of what John said earlier where, you know, there are various steps of the discipline, right? So you address it as soon as we find out about it and, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. And well, there again, the book even directs and, and, and talks about um, what we see in Scripture, how that's done. Um, but yeah, it you know does it get to the point where you know it's so serious because the person is refusing to correct correct sin in their lives, um, and is it serious because the group is still accepting this person as seems like they did in in Corinthian in Corinth they were accepting this person as a viable member of the congregation, knowing the sin that he was engaged in and not doing anything about it too. So yeah, any other scripture anybody wants to bring up, John? I really like what's <clears throat> mentioned in the short book of Jude. And uh, there at the end of that uh, book, it says in verse 22 <clears throat> that you are to have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Which leads me to conclude there, with, with every circumstance, there could be a slightly different approach to how you handle that uh, restoration process. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I have a note written here in my margin that it, with those verses, and it says, um, you don't deal with everyone in the exact same way. Right? Yeah, that's exactly what you said. Um, Personalities are different, so how you approach them as well. Um, but it's still 
based on God wanting his people, his church, and all Christians to be holy as he is holy, as much as we can be, obviously. So, no, I think those are good. I appreciate that. Yeah, Gary. Matthew 18. Uh-huh. 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his sins fall between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If you if you will not hear you, take it with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. So I think a lot of times a lot of problems can be nipped in the bud if you just go and talk to the brother instead of going and saying, Did, did you know a brother Mike did? Right. You know, or bringing it to the elder's attention, you know. I saw Mike doing this, and, you know, what, did you talk to them? Right, right. And I, I, I guarantee you that the elders here would say to Gary, have you spoken with Mike? Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that the experience in the past with discipline, um, you know, and being firsthand um, associated with it with, uh, with my family, um, Things are not done hasty, but I don't think things are put off either. Um, things are always done in love, and um, I think as far as as far as our understanding, I think things are done according to Scripture. So I have I have really appreciated that uh, with the way things are handled here at Avon. Um, Where's the first test says approach a brother the way you would want to be approached? Absolutely. Where is that? I'm having a senior moment. Second opinions oh, three. I guess I'm doing <laughs> like the Sermon on the Mount, chapter seven. You know, like first twelve. You know, the golden rule. Oh, the golden rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it would fall in that vein for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's let's define discipline because I think this is really important, right? We, we're, if we're going to talk about church discipline, and keep in mind the focus of this class, based on this study guide that we'll be using as a study guide, the focus of this class is going to be on um, on the church discipline, on the church as a whole. Um, I think that there's responsibility individually. We've already talked about some of that. That maybe we may say is not church; that's individual. Or maybe there's some discipline involved that that um, um, you know wouldn't fall under the purview of of the church. But this is going to be church discipline, and that also makes us think: Is there a true distinction between the individual and the church? Right there again, that's one of those things that 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 I think we can discuss. But it'll be one of those things that you will have to have to decide and and figure out. You know, there's hard questions, like Gary already brought up. You know, what if you got a parent and a child? Um, what if that child is, you know, 15, still living at home? Um, that does not alleviate our responsibility as parents to that child. But there's also, like Gary mentioned, probably something that we should do, even at home, that would indicate to that child things are not right and we need to, we need to have some things things done differently. But we'll get into those. But let's talk about what is discipline? What is discipline? Karen? Um, it makes me think of Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 that kind of defines some of that. Okay. Um, discipline um, is painful 
but needful. Um, he disciplines us for um, our good, that we may share in his holiness. So it kind of helps me understand the purpose um, and relates it to my, or I guess a father, to children. So I can kind of understand that better as a parent. As a parent, uh-huh. Right. It's interesting. Yeah, go ahead, Mom. Well, we just think of it usually as punishment, but it's really just training, isn't it? And instead of the the uh, physical part that we think of, you know, right. spanking or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and we'll let's we'll talk about that here literally in just a couple couple minutes because I think that's really important for us to discuss. Really about what you know what is the purpose of discipline? When you, yeah, Robin. Yeah. Maybe you're going to get there in a couple minutes, but. Um, Discipline means, in a sense, um, having self-control. The person is disciplined, they have good self-control. Okay. And when you, when you are trying to help someone else be disciplined, you're trying to help them have self-control. Okay. Okay. I think you're absolutely right. And if you think of the word discipline, what's another word that should come to our mind? Leanne, go ahead and say it. Disciple. Disciple. Yeah. Disciple. I saw your word, your mouth it, disciple. So this is the idea, in, and I think it refers to all that is involved in becoming an effective follower of Jesus Christ, right? So when we speak of church discipline in a broad sense, it really refers to everything that we do in the church to help one another serve Christ and reach heaven. That's really what discipline is all about. And it's also interesting that the term church discipline is found nowhere in the Bible. It's one of those terms. It's not found in the Bible, church discipline. But it's really a convenient way of referring to this this huge area of biblical teaching and Christian practice that I think that we need to be aware of, and that's why why we're, we're discussing it today. But as it was already mentioned, and I think it was brought up in um, kind of what Mom and what Robin said as well, that church discipline includes teaching, it includes encouragement, it includes guidance, it includes exhortation. Those are all forms of discipline. And sometimes we break out discipline into two two, um, camps. We have a positive discipline, and we have a negative discipline, right? But I, I really don't like the idea of negative discipline because discipline should always be positive. And by positive, I mean it should always be driving toward a positive result. Karen brought up Hebrews, and I think Hebrews 12.8, I love it, says, But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So in other words, if we all have not been disciplined... If we don't allow God to discipline us, then he says we're illegitimate. We're not sons of his. Because through his discipline, he teaches us, he encourages us, he gives us guidance, he exhorts us to do what we need to be doing. There again, all forms of discipline. And When I think about the context of discipline being, um, you know, the root being disciple a follower on the path, I think of discipline as course correction. Like we're re 
directing our children along the path to their father when they get off course. So just, um, that's why I don't think of just direct instruction to my children. We might all be on the path and get more instruction and keep moving forward. The disciplining is when comes in when I or my kids or someone strays a little from the path. Then we have to be re-discipled or whatever the term would be. Yeah, I think, yeah, and, and I will, I, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I think that I think we have to look at discipline as having two facets. One is the 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 corrective discipline, and one is the instructive discipline. Because if discipline is actually akin to discipleship or a disciple, then it is a form of discipline for us to continue on that path and to grow and get stronger. But I, I do think that you're right. I think it's interesting, though, is that when we look, if we think of this word discipline and disciple, we see as much instructive discipline in the Bible as we do corrective discipline in the Bible. So I think that's interesting as well. But yes, you're right. For the most part, we all will. We're, our minds are going to are, are focused there, and that's probably where we'll spend most of our time on the corrective aspect of discipline. And I think there again, like you said, parent and a child, it's a lot of times it's just they've started to veer off a little bit, right? It's just to get them get them back on that track again, and then we continue to discipline them, not in the same way, but instructive discipline to help keep them on the path once they get back on again. So I think what I'm going to share probably involves a little bit of both. But someone recently shared with me uh, these thoughts uh, about their own personal experiences. They said, I cannot even express how thankful I am that I've learned so much about suffering and trials these last couple of years. I don't know how else I would have made it, not knowing the deep and in a sense beautiful purpose of it. I'm thankful that I can face trials now knowing that Jesus is with me in the middle of the storm. I think there's probably some instructive and possibly even corrective discipline at work. A lot of times it has to do with how do I, what's my attitude toward that? No, I th yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Good. That's really good. Thanks for sharing that. So, so if we think of discipline as instructive and corrective, so the idea of instructive discipline would be, you know, on the positive side, right? And corrective, we would immediately think, oh, that's negative. But they should both be positive. They should both be positive. Because corrective discipline basically refers to the actions that we either are to take or that we do take when someone refuses to conform to his or, um, uh, his or her life to um, clear teaching in the Bible from a, from a church discipline standpoint. Yeah, various forms of that might be, like we talked about, rebuking, correction, warning, and then ultimately the most extreme form um, where we get into the idea of, of marking someone as a, uh, as a sinner um, uh, and even withdrawing from someone if that's appropriate. But yeah, here. I'm thinking about the instructions Paul gives us in Ephesians as fathers and uh, not provoking our children, but to bring them up, training in, in admonition. So I, I just remember 
you know, how my parents brought me up. I wasn't brought up as a Christian, so when we become parents, we oftentimes revert back to what we learned from what our parents did, but having become a Christian and then a father, I would try to explain to my son what he did wrong, why it was wrong, and where it would lead to if he kept going down that road, and then explain to him, I'm going to have to give you a spanking now because you did this, you understand that, and, and yes. So you have the training and the and the corrective discipline. Corrective discipline. All, all together. Yeah. And I think, especially as parents, we would say the purpose of discipline is never punish, is never punitive or punishment. The purpose. I'm not saying it doesn't include a punitive or a punishment aspect of it. But the purpose of discipline, I think this is God as our Father and the way He wants us to be with our brothers and sisters as well. The purpose of discipline should never be punitive. Our purpose should never be to punish someone for what they've done. What should our purpose be? Teach. Teach. And bring, bring them back, right? What's the R word that we use a lot of time? Restore. Restore, right? Yeah, to restore someone. That's right. That should, that, that should always be the purpose of discipline. Restoration. Never punishment. Puni if the purpose of dis discipline becomes punishment, then we're bordering on what? Starts with the A. Abuse. Right? Abuse. And I think because discipline has been meted out willy-nilly, it's gotten a bad rap. To the point where people have said, "If you spank your kids, it's abuse." Right. That's the yeah. World, that's the worldview. Right. Today, and not only just with our kids, but in with adults too. We're, if we're going to try to discipline somebody, who are you to judge me? You know, God loves everybody and He accepts everybody. <clears> and, <throat> and what's wrong with you, Joe? You, you're just a ju judgmental bigot. You know, that, what's your problem with this guy? Right. Well, let's look at the Bible. Let's see if God does accept everybody, right? Let's see if God doesn't judge through his word. Where, in fact, we're not judging. We're just pointing out God's word and God's direction. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think society as a whole today is making this very difficult. And it's making it very difficult for people to understand why something like this would be done. But... If you read the preface in the foreword, even though it's a few years old, there is kind of a resurgence in a lot of churches today realizing that, you know what? No holds barred is not the way God wants things. And we need to, we need to focus on getting back to what the Bible says. And there again, keep coming back to this idea of holiness. Striving to be holy, striving for God's church to be holy as he wants it to be. And if um, my goal is ever to punish anyone, my children or brother or sister in Christ, then my head is already a sin in a sinful place. That, <coughs> that's uh, about me wanting to pound the flesh yep. from somebody. Very good. Very good. Yeah. And I think in Second Corinthians, that's probably what Paul is warning them against, maybe, right? That they did this, they did this this thing so well after they listened to what Paul had written. That he's saying, now wait a minute, 
there's always room for love and forgiveness and the idea of restoration. So, yeah. Let's take a look at some verses that uh, kind of talk a little bit about correction, discipline, things like that, even though we're not probably going to see that word in most of these verses. Um, I'll go ahead and read one that's already been, uh, that Gary already brought up. It's Matthew 18. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I have a question on that. Yep. When he says bring a witness, is he referring to a witness to the sin or a witness to the conversation that is to be had? Um, In chapter 6 and 7 of the book, we're going to discuss this text. But to me, it's clear it's a witness to the conversation that's going to be had. So that there can never be a he said, she said, or he said, he said in a situation like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because there may only be, and I think that's the point. The, I think in this situation, the idea, idea is there may only be one witness. And it may be the person that initially went and talked to him. But then taking two or three more to show the, I, I think it helps to show how serious this is and to make sure that both sides are protected. I agree with you. I've just heard that yeah. argued. Yeah. But. Yeah. And then impartially, they can help both sides. Absolutely. Because you never know right. where the help is, is needed. Right. And maybe it involves even both. Yeah. Yeah. There could be a little disciplining needed on both sides, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, Galatians 6 1. Somebody read that for me. This was the verse I was looking for. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Okay. All right. So what's this verse saying? Go back a little bit to what you said earlier. Every situation is different. You need to approach people differently, but you don't want to come come in as a judgmental... Uh, power, yeah, yeah like you know, you, pounding them over the head, right? Yeah, you know, you want to approach them the same way that you would want to be approached if, if you were caught. In this yeah, thing. yeah, with with the right <clears throat> with the right attitude, with the right words. Yep, and the spirit of gentleness, right? Yep. Keep coming back to Sandy's study on um, peacemaking, right? It's so many similarities, so many similarities there. That's right. How about Second Thessalonians three? 6 through 15. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. Go ahead, Heather. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because 
we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would not follow, so that you would follow our example. For if, even when we were with you, we used to give you this order: if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay. What do you see from a discipline standpoint in this reading? What's he saying here from a discipline standpoint? There again, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily specifically what we're to do, but just in broad terms from a discipline standpoint, what should our attitude be based on this this reading here? You're not to be loafers, you're to be working, and if you're not working, you have no right to to a meal. Okay. Alright. And and if you find somebody like that, you, you need to help them. With that, and it may involve, as verse 14 would say, it may involve, you know, putting them to shame, my, my text says. Yeah. And again, yeah. that's not the goal. Right. Not to shame them, but the, the shame would cause them uh, to make the, the proper change. Right. And even in that, they don't become my enemy, they're still my brother. Right. Or yeah. sister. Yeah. So we see an aspect of love. In this as well, right? It's not. Ju- I mean, throughout all of this idea of discipline, I think love is going to be the central factor in all of it. Done in love, Robin. I think it indicates that you should keep a distance from that person, not because you want to punish them by by staying away from them, but because you don't want to get caught up in that as well. Either. You don't want to seem to be to them that you would participate in or you would support them in that. No, yeah, I think that's I think that is definitely an aspect of, of, of that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Karen? Uh, I just want to throw this out there for some more conversation because when I was growing up, the older generation, they were very harsh and they didn't hesitate to uh, belittle you, humiliate you, embarrass you, whatever. You know, if you were goofing off on the job, you know, somebody wouldn't hesitate to say, hey, hey, Jelbert, this isn't a spectator sport. What are you doing? Right. Get to work. And so there was, and a lot of times people that said that, they said it because they didn't want you to be a loafer. They wanted you to be a hardworking, productive member of society so they would get on you. Because a lot of times if people didn't care, they wouldn't say anything. So I always, I grew up with that, and I took that from my elders and you know, either even older coworkers, I would take their criticisms as positive jesting, if you will, to you know that they're they're trying to tell you, hey, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing that wrong. You needed to do right. it this way. Right. It's a form of discipline, right? Right. Yeah. It, yeah. So would that be? Would you say that that would be wrong? Because it's not done anymore. Right. Just, right. You know, people are afraid to say anything to anybody in fear of uh, hurting their feelings. Right. 
I think a lot of I think a lot of discipline um, comes down to goes back to what you mentioned that Tony mentioned on Sunday, and that is relationships, right? How what is our relationship with the person? Um, is my relationship with this person such that I might be able to say something to them in a way that I would never say to someone that I don't have quite that same closeness to? Um, where if someone else heard it, they might thought I was being might think I was being harsh, but yet maybe I know if I say it to this person, that's what's going to get their attention and that's going to it's, it's going to have an effect. So I I, I think that probably. Um, yeah, you're right. Probably today that people don't because of how litigious the society is, and they're worried about you know lawsuits and things like that. But I think um, the idea of in gentleness, in my mind, is you know we we think of the word gentle, but gentleness to Tony may be you a know what's that a bear hug a bear hug and tackling tackling you if exactly. I need to right and a gentleness to Robin might be, uh, you know, just a delicate hug or a, or, or a pat on the back, right? And so gentleness to each person, and if we know those people like we should know them, then we should then understand what type of gentleness we need to extend to them in the rebuke, the exhortation, the restoration effort. Karen. Um, try to communicate this effectively, but I think I was thinking about the definition of love and how we show love to others. Um, obviously, that does not negate gentleness at any at any time, but our culture redefines terms. And so, obviously, when we have a relationship with someone, then we're going to be better equipped to know how to be gentle and loving towards them and whatever we're doing. Um, but I think there are some times where I may be showing them love in the most godly way that I'm able, and it, because of our redefinition of terms, it's perceived completely the opposite. Um, so I'm not taking gentleness out, but I don't know that there would be certain scenarios that, <coughs> obviously every situation is different, right? but that doesn't mean that there aren't certain things that we might need to do because it is the loving thing that they are not going to oh absolutely respond properly yeah are you talking tough love yeah yeah i mean yeah what the world says is loving is not the way right that god would communicate right. that yep gentle doesn't mean it won't doesn't mean it won't hurt yeah right yeah. right yeah. yeah 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 i can gently pummel tony about the head and shoulders right and it's potentially still hurt or i could just you know be angry and just go off on him. No. Um, that's you know that's a kind of a funny example, but that's I think the idea is that um, that point I think is really key. Gentleness does not mean that it's not going to hurt, or it's not going to be hard, or you know people aren't going to initially take offense to what you say. But this idea of you know gentleness and in love will I think. Um, if we keep that in the back of our mind, right, that um, gentleness doesn't mean I, I don't get to the point and I don't make sure that it's understood that there's an issue here, but yet I don't also pound them into the ground when that's not really not what's required at that sure. moment. Yeah, but I, I think you're right. I think every situation, depending on where 
the issue is in the line of is it just beginning has been going on for a while and they've refused to do anything about it as are we getting to the ultimatum stage you know whether it's a child or um, a personal friend or the church then I think gentleness takes on a little different meaning but that's still involved there Tony uh, it's like uh, love languages you know the five love yeah. languages that if you're if your love language is words of affirmation and I give you a gift do you then take that and throw it on the ground and say, no, only words of affirmation? <laughs> because, like, and if I know that about you, I'll, I'll try to try to give it maybe more thought of that. I would I would express my love to you in a certain way than in a different way. I love you too. But sometimes, sometimes that's that's the appropriate thing at that time. No, you're right. But it's also responsibility on your part too to to try to accept it. It's kind of like uh, how to read a book of. Uh, being good at pitch and catch in conversation that is not just all the pitcher like we talked about that with uh, evangelism it's not just about all the pitcher we have to be good catchers of this and so it's kind of like i've also thought of can we anticipate or can we fathom being the shoe on the other foot here of you being in reception of this how would you receive correction how how you know okay so i don't like this person and they don't have fellowship with me, and they don't really know me, so therefore I'm going to refuse that. Like, there is some responsibility also on the one receiving the discipline and oh, correction yeah. that you may try to come at this with the most perfect motives, and sometimes, yeah, you know, or they don't come with all the perfect motives, and they are the biggest jerks, and you're like, why would I ever listen to you? Right. Well, guess what? It's not them, it's God. Yeah. And should anybody be listening to God, no matter what he brings, uh, as the bearer of that message to me. And so... And I think that's, I think you brought up a point that I think is very relative uh, when we think about the correlation of spreading the gospel, right? Sowing the seed. Um, the person on the other end has to be receptive. I can sow the seed, I can try to pound it, I can be a Bible beater, pound it over your head, I can present it in the most effective, most beautiful manner based on how I know you are. But if in their heart they're not receptive, it's not going to work. Or if they're receptive and I do become a Bible beater and just pound over the head and all I do is talk about everything you're doing wrong and because this is what the Bible says, you may not be receptive again, but in your heart you wanted to. So... There's, it's yeah, I don't, want to make, to I don't want to make your job of receiving my love difficult because I'm like, I'm doing it my way, and you, you, know, you right. just need to get But it's also on the other end, too. It so. is. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gary? I'm just thinking, talking about love and the, the hardness or the hard part of receiving the discipline and such. I'm thinking, that, you know, what Tony said earlier, with, when God's started... New Testament, he put the fear of God into the people with Ananias and Sapphira there. And I think of uh, Romans eleven twenty two. therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. We, we need to remember that we're not just talking in the realm of our comfort zone of what love is and what it isn't. We, we need to keep things in the context of where, how God is looking at it and the, the severity of all of this if we don't follow it we don't get it and make it work no I think that's right I think you're absolutely right I just had something else go yeah. along with that we, we talked about shame and uh, having to sometimes shame the person into doing what's right and I think of Paul 
confronting Peter, Peter yeah. and not just privately but that in too. front of everyone. Right. And we don't hear how that turns out, but it's interesting how Peter writes about what Paul has written. That he doesn't go, oh, Paul, that jerk face, you know, <laughs> right. called me out in front of everybody. Yeah. You know, that it doesn't seem that it sours the relationship there. Right. Because of Peter. Yeah. Uh, not just because of Paul, but because of Peter and his reception of, of that correction. Uh, of course, Peter, I think, maybe got used to that from Jesus of being corrected. <laughs> He's like, par for the course. Yeah. You know? Here I go again. But uh, Open mouth, change feet. But just think about that, though, how, how that works also, that the effectiveness also, I mean, honestly, is on the person themselves uh, who is being disciplined, whether their heart is where it should be. Yeah. I, yeah. They've got to want to change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, you got to know Jesus wanted the Jews who were op- opposing him to come around right and yet he would he would call them hypocrites he'd call them a brood of vipers I mean, he used some really strong language and I'm not saying that we all start doing that but it, it was a tactic he was using to get their attention right, right. absolutely and I'm Jesus, the master teacher, he obviously knew them, right? He knew what it was going to take to try to break through that shell and probably knew that even that wouldn't do a whole lot. We get glimpses of a few that, you know, a few that did, um, but as far as uh, far as so most of them. One of them, he had to blind to put it on a road to go rest Christians. I mean, that's that's what it took. Yeah, yeah, that's but he right. he came around, right? He came around. He came around. That's right. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26, I'll just read it. It says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So, there again, this idea of discipline, not quarrelsome, kind, willing to teach, patient when we are wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Why? So that maybe God will allow their heart to be opened so that they can escape the snare of the devil and um, um, come to the knowledge of truth that God wants them to. So it's interesting. uh, One last thing here. We've only got a minute or so. One last thing that I thought was interesting that was done is that is it was found out that there are at least as many texts teaching the necessity of discipline as there are teaching the necessity of baptism. Yet we have typically neglected the one and demanded the other, which is, I think, very interesting, right? The same amount of information, the same amount of texts referring to it, the same amount of emphasis on it, but yet we would never hesitate to tell someone about baptism and the importance of baptism, but eh, church discipline may not be one of those things that we want to spend a lot of time talking about. So, For Sunday, what I want you to do is to read chapter 1 in the book. I want you to either highlight or underline any aha moments or anything that you think is worthy to discuss because that's kind of how I want to direct these classes. I don't want us to, you know, I don't want to um, stand up here and say this is going to be the exact format. But chapter 1... I want us to have open discussion of what you thought was really relevant, what you thought was good, if there was something you didn't necessarily agree with, let's talk about that. 
And um, I think if we do it that way, we will um, we'll have a profitable study and we'll be able to really discuss the important things that the author is trying to, to have us discuss and look at in each chapter. So look forward to Sunday. Thanks. Thank you.